Hey everyone, if you're enjoying Bjork Unraveled, there are two ways you can support the show. One, you can share it with your friends. And two, you can make a small monthly donation through Anchor or a one-time donation through PayPal. Both links are in the show notes. I'm an independent producer, so every dollar helps me break even on music and transcription software. Just being real here, if 20 of you donated $1 a month, I could cover my monthly expenses and keep the show going. Thanks so much for your support. All right, on to the show. You're listening to Bjork Unraveled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. I'm your host, Savannah Wright. At the end of the song, Family, Bjork shifts from mourning the death of her family as she knew it to a moment of healing and transformation. She talks about building a monument of love, a swarm of sound. In the music video for this part of the song, Bjork lies on a rock as if sacrificing herself to a greater force. She weaves neon threads that heal the wound on her chest, which is the central symbol of the album Vulnikora. The neon threads then expand to form a cocoon around her, which pulses with energy. And moments later, she emerges from the cocoon in a neon yellow dress, the same color she associates with healing and transformation. Then, Bjork walks away, full of purpose. So where does she walk to? Where is this place of solutions she sings about? It finally clicked for me when I saw Cornucopia, a show that begins like this. That night, Bjork took us to that place. We caught a glimpse of a musical and technological utopia. And in this episode, I'll share that experience with you. I'll start with the history of this tour, describe the magical audiovisual journey Bjork takes you on, and conclude with a conversation with Alexander Lloyd Blake, the director of Tonality, the choir that performed with Bjork for these California shows. I was lucky enough to not only see the show on opening night, but also on closing night in LA. And I'll share that story at the end. Bjork announced the Cornucopia tour on her Instagram back in 2018. She wrote, quote, this winter I will prepare my most elaborate stage concert yet, where the acoustic and digital will shake hands, encouraged by a bespoke team of collaborators, close quote. These collaborators included Argentine film director Lucretia Martel, Icelandic flute septet Vibra, percussionist Manu Delago, electronic engineer Bergur Thorsen, and the Hammarheath Choir from Iceland, just to name a few. The show also featured custom instruments like the organ pipe, which was capable of hitting those deep notes on body memory, the circle flute, which is actually just four flutes joined together that can be played by four players simultaneously, and the Segel Harpa, an electromagnetic harp of sorts. In an interview with Dazed, Bjork said, quote, 
my albums overall have been written with different venues in mind. For example, Biophilia was a music school going to the science museum, and Volnikora was a Greek tragedy one-person VR opera. As venues go, Utopia was perhaps the most obvious. It's a place, and a sci-fi tale on top of that. So I knew that it needed a theatrical set design and staging for the songs to be semi-believable. The music on Utopia is an attempt to imagine a soundtrack to a future island, a place of hope. This quote shows that Cornucopia was never an ordinary tour, it was a theatrical production. The show began as a residency at Hudson Yards in Manhattan in the spring of 2019, and then it traveled to Mexico City and parts of Europe. Bjork had plans to take the tour to additional cities, but then COVID happened. And like a lot of fans, I assumed that when Bjork did return to the stage, it would be on a completely different tour. I felt like I missed my chance. So when Bjork announced that she was bringing her cornucopia tour to LA, I had some strong emotions. Bjork is coming to LA, yeah. She's coming for three days in January and February. Oh, yeah. Yep, that's me dancing around my room. My husband secretly recorded that video, so that's a genuine reaction. And not only was Bjork coming to LA, but she was coming on my sister Natalie's birthday. The same sister who introduced our family to Bjork. You may remember her from season one. She says, like, on the surface, simplicity, but then just like her music, you, you get into it and there's all these different layers to look at, even though it may appear simple on the surface. Of course, we had to go. So we made a game plan and got tickets as soon as the presale went live. And we scored seats in Orchestra Center, row 16. And a few months later, we arrived. When we first entered the shrine, the stage was softly illuminated by a floral design. We heard the bird calls of Utopia playing intermittently. I knew we were about to enter a new world. The concert began with two songs performed by Tonality, and these songs had words from Greta Thunberg's UN speech, so there was definitely a thematic match here, with Utopia being a call to climate activism. When the choir left the stage, the screen went dark, and then these gorgeous visual projections of the Bjork VR character from Volnikora appeared. There she was, running towards you, inviting you into this world that she had created. The anticipation was killing me. And then, the screen went dark. And the beautiful rainbow prism of the Gate music video appears on the screen. And with it, those iconic bass notes that begin the song. That's when we heard Bjork sing. As she sang, the rope screen gradually pulled back, kind of like a gate itself was opening. I loved seeing the music video avatars projected on the screens because 
I think this is one of her most visually stunning music videos, and so I'm really glad that the imagery was incorporated into the performance. From there, she transitioned into Utopia. This is where Vibra came forward and really took the stage. Bjork went behind them as they descended down from the top platform in one fluid line. They used some of the same choreography from the Utopia music video, where each flute player raises their body in a half circle of sorts that kind of looks like a flower unfolding. And then Beer got to show off her vocals in the custom reverberation chamber. So this chamber was created to capture the other type of voice that Bjork sings with. She has her performer voice, which she uses at concerts, and then she has her more intimate voice that she uses when she sings to herself or sings in a smaller venue. And so when she goes into this reverb chamber, she's able to recreate that sound for the audience. It's a way to create intimacy in what otherwise might be a very distancing show because Bjork seems so untouchable in this completely different world that we're just peering into. One of my favorite songs from the entire concert was A Rise in My Senses. So this is one of my favorites from the album in general, but everything about it in this performance just exuded lightness and joy and bliss. There's these white lights that flash into the audience and then they rise towards the ceiling. So if you're following it with your eyes, it directs your gaze heavenwards. The visuals on top of that look like feathers fluttering around and rising. And then there were these lights that would flash with the rope screen to make it look like it was shimmering upwards. Honestly, the way that I can best describe that performance is that idiom, walking on air. It's like it finally makes sense when you see this song performed. So when that song ended, one of the flute players came to the front of the stage and started playing a mysterious solo. And I didn't really recognize what she was playing until Bjork sang the opening lyrics of Venus as a Boy. It was really fun to hear a song from debut in a completely different context. I mean, this is a pretty old song. It's, it's like a couple decades old. But hearing it with this minor key, it really made it seem like Venus is yet another mysterious, intriguing character you're meeting in this world called Utopia. And I felt like it fit perfectly within the rest of the set. Another highlight, and this is because I just love this song so much, was Isabel.
So the lighting and visuals on this one were this really warm green color. So I felt like I was entering this jungle, like the jungle part of Utopia Island and meeting Venus's friend, Isabel. And the flutes really added to that mysterious feeling of like being in the jungle and meeting maybe like mysterious birds or mysterious like fairies who are playing the flute. I don't know. It just had this feeling of mystery and enchantment. I especially love the chorus when they rise all at once. I don't know how to describe it, so I'll just play a clip. So yeah, I feel like those two songs back to back were just perfect. So when I heard that Bjork was going to have Serpent with Feet join her on stage, I was so excited because as you know, I have covered this particular remix that she's done with him for Blissing Me. I will say the first time I saw the show, she seemed a little bit shy. Like it was cute at the end. She like didn't know if she should hug him or not. But for the third show, they looked like they were best friends just jamming to this banger of a song they created together. And I really loved the chemistry they had in that third show. I also have to mention the water drums on this one. So Manu Delago, he walks in and there's this kind of contraption that looks like a water table, but it's like certain drums, but then also bowls where you can pour the water. And if you haven't seen a video of this, you really need to look it up. I'm sure there's some on Instagram, but it really brought this enchanting texture to this one, almost like they were singing next to a river, like having a quiet moment. It really captured that intimate and vulnerable side of the song. And lastly, I just want to say that it is so cool that Bjork invited Serpent with Feet to perform the remix version for all of these shows. I mean, it's like she's placing this song on the same tier as or even slightly above the original because she's not performing just by herself or even the harp version that she came up with. She's performing the one with Serpent with Feet. It's just a testament of how she elevates younger artists as her equal and it really warmed my heart. After watching the show twice, I think there's a clear delineation of two acts with pretty different moods. So the first act welcomes you into this bizarre, beautiful world with Utopia, A Rise in My Senses, and Blissing Me. It's mysterious, but it's mostly light and airy. And then the screen closes and this manifesto is projected onto the screen and it's from Bjork and it's about the urgency to act against climate change. You know, we've had this glimpse of this beautiful world and now Bjork is showing us the only way to make that world happen is to act and to do something to protect the planet. So after that manifesto finishes, the veil parts and the choir reappears and this confetti snow starts fluttering down onto Bjork. And then there's the signature 360 flute instrument that just descends and surrounds Bjork so that she's standing in the middle of the circle 
And then four players from Vibra are surrounding her, playing as well. And this is when Bjork sings Body Memory. So this song, as you know, is very long, and it almost feels like an epic poem. The first time I saw this performance, it kind of unsettled me. You see these silhouettes of bodies that, when they're projected on the screen, it's like they're almost the same height as the choir, so they look kind of real. And then they just start, like, ascending into the air. The second time that I saw it, though, I felt like it really did complement the inner turmoil that Bjork is singing about. This song felt a lot more operatic to me, especially when you consider they added the confetti snow. Like, it's really like she's performing a scene from a musical or something. And so here's Bjork confronting how she's changed and how she needs to get back to her roots and be connected with nature and at peace again. And the music really captures that with the electromagnetic harp creating these deep notes that reflect that turmoil. And so that is kind of the emotional climax of the show. And it kicks us into the rest of Act 2, which has some other dark songs, but then it's punctuated with moments of lightness and energy like Hidden Place and Mouth's Cradle. So the final song before the encore was Tabula Rasa. And this song hit me a lot harder seeing it live than it ever had listening to the album. It was very touching to me. I mean, you can tell Bjork really cares about leaving the world better than she found it. And that's one of the reasons why she created this show was to draw attention to the climate injustice happening in the world and really showing us what's at stake that we need to act now. But on a more intimate scale, you can also tell that she really just wants to give her kids the best foundation to grow from. It was something about seeing it live, with the flutes just so gentle and soothing. It really hit me like, this is such an emotional song. And so after a few minutes of clapping, there was a recorded speech that was played from Greta Thunberg. We are about to sacrifice our civilization for the opportunity of a very small number of people to continue making unimaginable amounts of money. It was the same speech that was played in 2019, but it felt just as relevant. I mean, maybe even more so because a lot of climate issues have been eclipsed by COVID. So when that finished... The screen parted again, and Björk returned in her iconic white flower feather dress, and she sang Future Forever. Future Forever moved me 
just as much as tabula rasa, maybe more. Because before we can even rally for a different future, we have to imagine what it would look like. And Future Forever is all about that. It's soft and introspective, and the choir's vocals on it were heavenly. Beer concluded with the song Not Get, which is kind of like the final war cry, like, okay, we know what we're fighting for now, let's go make it happen. It's interesting to reflect on the lyrics of that song, which was probably about the divorce, like much of the rest of Onikora. But if you look at the lyrics in the context of this battle for climate justice, it takes on a new tone. So she sings, love will keep us safe from death. And I feel like that resonates with the message that we need to love the planet and our future generations enough to protect them from climate destruction. It's this beautiful reimagining of a song, just like with Venus as a boy. When Björk premiered Cornucopia in 2019, she performed with the Hamaraheath Choir. But for these California dates, she instead invited a local choir group, Tonality, to join her on stage. So I asked Alexander Lloyd Blake, the director of Tonality, about how they got involved. Hello, my name is Alexander Lloyd Blake. I'm the founding artistic director of Tonality, a professional choir here in Los Angeles that focuses on issues of social justice and diversity within our ensemble to encourage empathy, and to activate our members and audience um, towards these issues. Blake formed the choir back in 2016, when he was a PhD candidate at the University of Southern California. Just in my own experience as a Black classical musician, I felt like the music of my background, coming from a gospel background in North Carolina, was treated differently and maybe a little less important and the more I went through my education, through the master's and doctorate, I started to see it wasn't just Black music. It really was just anything that was non-European. Um, and so I was asked randomly what I wanted to do when I graduated. And I said, you know, when I'm 70 years old, I would love to have a professional choir. <laughs> I said, I really want to create a group that centers everyone's identity and all of us feel validated for all of who we are. 
And so I sent an email out in 2016 to about 30 singers and said, I'm a grad student. I have no idea what I'm doing in terms of professional choirs, but I would like to form this group that's about diversity and unity. And we had this rehearsal and it was beautiful. And then we happened to find an opening in a choral series and then eventually started adding and centering our concerts, not just about unity, but how do we use diverse voices to speak toward issues of marginalization and injustice. If you've listened to Medulla, you may have noticed Bjork has a similar interest in using choral music to tackle social themes. Am I going to make it right? As for how Blake's path crossed with Bjork's, he said it started with an email last November. I was reached out to by Bjork's management, and Bjork, I was told, is really excited because using music for conscious issues, being socially conscious, was something that resonated with her. And so they engaged me uh, and talked a little bit about the program and wanted to see if we can get involved, which, of course, we were very excited to. Yeah. I mean, were you following her work uh, beforehand? Were you already a fan? Or Honestly, I, I think I'm the only person in the whole organization that did not really know her music. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you know, when I, I remember being asked, you know, do you follow Bjork? And I, I thought, oh, I could make something up. But then if they asked me more questions, <laughs> that would not yeah. look go well. So I just, I was honest and I said, you know, I, I don't know it yet, but excited to learn. But I remember when I mentioned to the singers, some of them freaked out. Yeah. And some people were emotional. I mean, it, and it kind of gave me a better sense of, oh, this, this artist clearly, I knew the name, but I don't think I had really the awareness of how inspirational and influential she had been to so many of the musicians in our group. Wow. Yeah. So um, is that what inspired you to say yes? Or were you already interested in saying yes for other reasons? Can you tell me like why you agreed? Sure. Uh, to me, it's very important and also inspirational to find artists who have such a huge following, who are so successful, really choosing to use their art to speak to things that matter. It's certainly just an opportunity for us to you know, to have support and, and get report, support in return. Um, so that was certainly one of the big reasons. And then again, yes, after seeing how excited the singers and some of the other members of our organization were to be involved, it, it was just easy to say yes. Yeah. Um, well, that's great. That actually answered one of my questions about um, if you felt like your choir's mission kind of aligned with Bjork's mission for Cornucopia. Is that something you noticed when the show was explained to you? Absolutely. And looking up things online, uh, she really has centered the conversation on climate change and what we are doing and what we can do. Uh, and we have, in our most recent CD, we have two pieces from Joe Chapanese that speak directly towards this issue. Actually, I, it was kind of funny when they were talking to us about possibly opening, do we have anything? I said, Ironically enough, we actually have a movement of a piece that's about an Icelandic glacier. Oh wow! Yeah, so you can't, you know, <laughs> you can't make these things up. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this piece we've done in a previous concert that was centered around climate change, and so 
it was nice to be able to bring that to her performance. And this is on our recent album called America Will Be. So it just seems very, uh, you know, pertinent to the time. Mm. Yeah, I actually was going to ask about that, the opening songs that you used for the show. So that was something where you were like, oh, this just kind of aligns with the mission and that's what you offered to them. Exactly. Yeah, they asked for some options and again, learning more or being told more about the show again by some of the fans within our organization. I said, certainly we can offer these, uh, you know, speaking about Iceland specifically obviously seemed relevant. And then the second movement is a speech by Greta Thunberg, which I found out later, you know, she plays a speech of Greta's in the show and some of the exact same words and phrasing that Greta uses in that speech was something that she used in her speech in the United Nations. So we actually sing the same words that are in the speech. No way. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. Um, so were you the composer for those songs? I was not. The composer is Joe Trapanese. He's a film composer here in Los Angeles. And I think these were his first choral pieces, which you would not believe if you heard it. It's just beautiful what he wrote. Yeah, no, I loved it. It was interesting to hear, yes, kind of a more traditional sound, but singing about these really contemporary issues. That's what caught my attention. Absolutely. Yeah. Most choirs don't. I would say more choirs are starting to do this, but uh, we definitely have been known to speak very directly towards issues. So it was nice, again, to be able to do that at her concert. Yeah, for sure. No, I think it really fit it nicely. Can you tell me a little bit more about the rehearsal process for Cornucopia? Um, like, did Björk come to the rehearsals or did you work more with uh, Berger Thorison, the musical director? Or how did that work? Yes, most of the time we worked with Berger first. So what happened was after they reached out to us, we had to send an audition because, you know, they, they needed to know that we could do what they needed. Um, and so the, the piece we auditioned with was the one that we do with her acapella, Hidden Place. After that, uh, when we got the affirmative that we were going to be a part of the show, we received the other songs and the sheet music And so we had a rehearsal and then Berger came to the next rehearsal just to give some notes and to hear how we were going to do things and talk to us about, you know, are there any changes that we need to make? But we actually performed with Bjork for the first time in the concert. Oh, okay. So I'm also interested because you were kind of coming into Bjork's music, uh, like as a newcomer, what was something that you noticed in these choir pieces? Like, that kind of you're like oh now I understand Bjork's music as being this way or I'm just kind of curious your impressions yeah I I love how rhythmic the music is I find it fun I mean you know we get to jam on stage and the the choral parts definitely lend themselves to some movement so while we're up there doing the job uh it just feels just very I don't know I don't know if chills the word but it just feels very inducive to like movement and just kind of grooving to the music Mm-hmm. Yeah, were they? did they give you notes on how to move or was that something they just kind of left up to the choir? They left up to us. I think just, you know, make sure you all are, I think just enjoying yourselves was the, the thing. And, you know, us choral classical singers don't really get many opportunities to dance, <laughs> to move yeah. around. It's very usually, and of course, when we start the pieces, the pieces that we bring are not 
in that same realm. So we're used to kind of standing still and delivering a message. So it's nice to be able to kind of be a little looser. Yeah. No, and I like that you're able to, yeah, just be natural because I feel like it brings a really fun energy to the stage. I love hearing Bjork perform with a choir. Like, that's my favorite way to hear her perform because I just feel like there's so much more fun interaction between her and the choir. I'm curious also, what was your um, favorite song to, to learn with tonality? For the concert, let's see. Um, I liked Body Memory. Mm. which is funny. I'm sure the singers are going to scream at me for saying that because some of the, it's kind of difficult. Some of the rhythms in the, in the middle section are, are quite difficult, but that kind of stuff as a music nerd, I love. Yeah. Do you mind uh, telling me which particular part in body memory is the hard part? Do you remember like where it comes in the song? Huh? That's a good, Hmm. It's right after the bridge when kind of Bjork's going into like the, the higher parts and um, I think she's not even saying a lot of words, just a lot of the ahs. Right after that, uh, you'll hear, if you listen to it again, there's a section where the tenors and basses are singing by themselves. And there are just a lot of rhythmic entrances in there. And so there, that part took took some time to learn and to really make sure it was clean. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we're, we're used to in choir singing a lot of long, beautiful, luscious, sustained notes. So these very kind of quick entrances on the offbeats are a little tricky. They're new, but they're also interesting. Yeah, that's a good point um, about, yeah, just how like rhythmic and kind of intricate that rhythm can get. So... I guess my last question for you is, uh, what do you feel like is your big takeaway from um, conducting these pieces in, in Cornucopia? Like, what do you feel like you're taking away from this experience? Well, I think really this is, I would say, kind of kudos to Bjork and the whole team. Choral music sometimes is boxed in a corner of what we can and can't do and where we, we should perform. Um, and so to think that they have centered this genre and this type of music and this type of ensemble in so many ways throughout the performance opening and singing throughout really i think is a positive insight in how we can be used as choral singers yeah we can do the choral classical you know stuff but also we can sing so many styles um hopefully other artists you know and even for our own music finding new and innovative ways to incorporate our sounds and the power that we have as singers within an ensemble to create a whole new and so varied sonic, you know, environment. Yeah. That's a great point about, yeah. Why aren't choirs used more in, in contemporary music? I just, I think they add such a rich quality to the music. So I, I am really grateful that she invited uh, Tonality for these shows. And are you doing the San Francisco ones or is that a different choir? We are doing the San Francisco ones. Oh, how exciting. Yes. This is our first tour. <laughs> so I said, you know, the bar has been set uh, hilariously high, yeah. but we're, we're looking forward. Um, it, these shows have really been so exciting just as a musician, but also they've been so friendly and engaging with us. Not just the singers, the production, um, the staff behind, you know, behind the scenes as well. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to kind of continue that in San Francisco. 
I love that. Well, yeah, thank you for the amazing work that you're doing bringing this music. Yeah, thank you for your time and for for sharing your experiences with this. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope people will engage with this after Bjork leaves us um, and hopefully to come back soon. Yeah. Um, But we will be here and would love to meet some of the people that we've met for the first time. Seeing Cornucopia the first time was fantastic. I had avoided watching videos beforehand, so some of the songs like Venus as a Boy were a complete surprise. But because I was close to the stage, I focused more on Bjork and Vibra as they moved around. I wasn't always paying attention to the visuals. I talked to other fans who saw the show multiple times, and they said the show shifted depending on where you were in the audience. So I wondered if I had missed out. The day I interviewed Blake, I was looking around online to see if I could attend that night's show. It was the last LA show of the tour. Funny you mentioned that you needed a ticket. What? Um, (laughs) We have one extra. So um, someone had to drop at the last minute. So you you might be lucky. (laughs) What? (laughs) Okay, I was not fishing when I told you that. (laughs) I know. Well, yeah, you didn't know, but I was... um, Can you give me your email? Yeah, let me put it in the chat right here. This is my personal email. So I got to see Cornucopia from two different angles. The second time, I was in row 33, so I had the complete picture in front of me. I could take it in as one visual feast. I got so much more out of it the second time, which when I think about it, is kind of a weird thing to say about a concert. But that's just it. This isn't a concert. Bjork herself described it as a theatrical production. Every aspect of it tells a story. And as I've talked about this tour with other fans, I've noticed a pattern. Fans like me, who maybe weren't in love with the Utopia Studio album, became converts after seeing Cornucopia. These songs are gorgeous live, even more so when you look at the costumes, sets, and visuals projected on stage. It makes me wonder if Utopia was always meant to be enjoyed as an audiovisual experience. After all, unlike any other Bjork record, Utopia is rooted in a fictional place, a fantasy island where nature and technology work in harmony. In the manifesto projected before Body Memory, Bjork talks about making space for a new vision of the future and creating the music we would listen to there. Cornucopia? breathes that utopia into reality. A huge thank you to Alexander Lloyd Blake for sharing his thoughts and experiences and for the ticket that really helped me pull this episode together. You can follow Tonality on Instagram at Our Tonality. There's so much more to the show than I got to talk about. Which is why I'm doing a three-part mini-series of interviews with other Cornucopia collaborators. In part one, I'll interview Shane Murbeck, the sound architect behind the reverberation chamber Bjork sang in for parts of the show. He'll explain the design process, talk about collaborating with Bjork, and reveal how they at one point considered making the chamber a dress. You've been listening to Bjork Unraveled, a series that demystifies Bjork's music one piece at a time. Bjork Unraveled is produced independently by me, Savannah Wright. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend and submit a review on whatever podcast app you're using. And consider donating to the show. 
There are two links in the show notes where you can make a monthly or one-time donation. I'm an independent producer, so every dollar will go towards music, software, and equipment. With your help, I can continue the show. This episode is brought to you by Enrico Topo, Damaretta Yen, Frank Hassenstab, John Mario Rosa, Bridget Wright, James Wright, Troy Tate, Laura Tate, Kinga Miklos, Eli Wright, Simon Mejia Moreno, Tammy McLeod, Guglielmo Rossi, and Emily Patton. My deepest wish is that you're immersed in grace and dignity. If you have an idea for a future episode, tell me about it. You can find me on Instagram at BjorkUnraveled or email me at BjorkUnraveled at gmail.com. I'm Savannah Wright. Thanks for listening.